0: Welcome, and thank you for joining this podcast brought to you by the American Heart Association. The association's Digital Digest series features a range of podcasts and videos focused on the latest resuscitation science topics. So thank you so much again for joining me, Dr. Ray and Dr. Sayer. Uh, just to start, can you guys remind us of what your roles are both in King County and Seattle?
1: So I'll start. I'm the medical program director for uh, king county ems agencies
2: and hi it's michael Sayre, and i'm the ems medical director for the city of seattle
0: excellent well thank you guys again so much for joining us i know we were so interested to hear about what was going on in washington state can you tell us a little bit about how things have evolved in the last week
2: i think like many uh, parts of the United States. People here are continuing their preparations for uh, what we anticipate to be a surge of cases. On the EMS part of it, we have continued to build out policies and procedures to keep the workforce safe and uh, try our best to avoid exposures to, uh, when taking care of patients. However, one thing that's starting to occur is our workers are getting exposed at off-duty or Potentially on duty, maybe to some of their coworkers. So there's so these other means of spread that could impact our workforce and its ability to serve the need. So that's a challenge. And I think we're continuing to work through that. And we're expanding our first responder testing sites. So Tom knows exactly for sure, but I think tomorrow possibly or today. Uh, our second uh, first responder COVID-19 testing site will go live in a uh, sort of pilot phase.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree, M- Michael. So an I, I, iterative approach in, in which we try to understand all the circumstances and expand the programs and policy to make sure we can manage those different circumstances that come every day. And I agree, one of the important a- approaches or strategies is to make sure you have a healthy workforce And so this idea that first responders, and I use that term in a a large way, uh, police, law enforcement, first response, fire, EMS, even dispatch, right? Uh, All these folks need to be healthy when they come to work. And so part of that is to understand whether they're, when they're sick, whether they have a COVID infection or whether they have some other infection. And so Seattle Fire Department certainly took the lead and developed this first response drive-in testing facility, prioritized healthcare workers and specifically first responders. And so uh, King County is following suit and standing up uh, another site today. And the goal is when someone doesn't feel well, uh, we want to have more information about that so that they can personally be protected, understand how they need to relate to their family, and also understand when and and how they can come back to to work. And so I think that is a great service to, to be able to test folks in relatively rapid fashion. Give them that information and let them then be able to manage that illness in a way that's best for them and best for their families, as well as best for the the EMS or the, the first response group.
0: And so how quickly are you able to provide that very important information back to your first responders?
2: So uh, we get the information within very fast now. So these samples all go to the University of Washington Virology Lab. They're typically resulting in 12 to 18 hours now.
0: Wow. So that means that if somebody has a, let's say, test negative for coronavirus, then they can be allowed back to working. Is that right?
2: Well, that's kind of the idea. As long as their illness is better. Mm -hmm. So we certainly Mm -hmm. don't want to infect the workforce with other viruses either because it would just end up testing yeah. more people unnecessarily, so, but totally provides the information to allow them to come back to work much more quickly instead of having to stay off for 72 hours because maybe they had COVID disease and we don't know. Now they're able to come back after 24 hours of getting better.
0: And you guys have also made some changes in the way in which both you're doing dispatch as well as how you're responding to calls also, right?
2: We have. And that also is, as Tom Ray likes to say, been an iterative approach. So we've gone through, I've lost track of how many changes, four-ish, I think, uh, versions of our dispatch algorithms. And currently what's happening is uh, if a caller has a complaint related to an infectious type disease, so they're complaining of fever or cough, those cases all get flagged as uh, ones that we want our responders to wear personal protective equipment, and a message is sent with the dispatch, as in our system we call this PPE advised. But then if a caller calls and says they're 65 and they're having crushing substernal chest pain, we obviously want to get a response going quickly, so we go ahead and send the response, case it's straightforward, ST elevation MI type patient, but then keep the caller on the phone to ask additional screening questions about the possibility that they may be having COVID-like illness. So they get subsequent questions about fever, cough, and so on. And then if those are positive, then a message is added later, presumably while the crew is already en route to tell them that this also may be a case of PPE advised. Because we've had cases, the chief complaint was chest pain, and it turned out to be viral pneumonia causing the chest pain.
0: And you guys have also started a scout program as well, right, to help both with exposure risk to your first responders and also to help with the PPE shortage as well.
1: Camilla, I'll start and and Michael can finish. First, just to follow up about the dispatch, Michael's absolutely correct, and I think a couple of his comments are quite telling, which is, you know, in the EMS pre-hospital world, callers do not always note that they have fever or shortness of breath, or quite frankly, COVID does not present classically as sort of the the conventional textbook would would define it. And so I think this additional line of questioning from dispatch has been quite helpful. I think the other thing that sort of the bigger discussion item here is you really need to work with your dispatch centers. They're, They're critical here and they're super important partners. And so opening that line of communication is, is really, really useful. On the second item about sort of how EMS engages with these, we indeed have, have tried to refine our approach and, and use this idea of a scout EMT or, or a scout paramedic or a potentially paramedics that would go into one or two instead of the team of, you know, three to seven and with their PPE to understand whether this really represents a risk positive patient or whether it's a risk negative patient. So that subsequent folks can be, can be informed about the need for, for PPE when caring for the, for the patient. And so it really has been a way to spare PPE when the whole crew is, is, arrives. And, you know, we have to be smart about it, right? We need to think about the time sensitivity of a call, how stable the patient is, make this, make this operationally useful. And, and when we have to just don PPE as a collective and, and go and, and treat the patient, i.e. a, a cardiac arrest patient. Michael, you have something to add to that, you think? The idea of the
2: scout is that we're minimizing PPE consumption. Simplest solution if PPE was unlimited is everybody just wears full PPE on every call. Unfortunately, PPE is limited and we're trying to uh, be judicious in the use. If we only have one or two of our responding crew members don PPE, uh, the rest of the team can stay well away and not have to take uh, any precautions and also not run the risk of getting any exposure. So we're hopefully minimizing the risk to the team at the same time reducing our PPE consumption.
0: And have you had to do any, um, or seen any changes in your transport of patients as well to the hospital?
2: So Michael here, the uh, present have not really changed transport to the hospital. Currently, hospitals all have capacity, although we are worried that that won't be true next week. So for now, it's essentially business as usual, though we did because this is a new diagnosis, add a new phone number for our first responder BLS crews to uh, call and talk to a physician. One of us takes those calls and There aren't very many a day, a handful, and help the crew decide, is this someone they could safely leave at home? Does this person need to go to the hospital? Our system has always allowed the BLS crews to decide that they don't have to take the patient to the hospital, engage in shared decision-making with the patients um, around that. So this is not a completely new idea, but decision-making around this particular
1: disease is new. Tom, I have more to add about that. Michael, you you stated it uh, succinctly and accurately. I have nothing to add.
0: You know, for those crews that are maybe new or are now finally starting to think about shared decision-making and possibly non-transportive patients, do you have any tips for them if they're getting this program started right now?
1: I think it's important that you give your crew's sort of objective guidelines for for how to make, inform their decision, right? Their input into the decision, right? So things like vital signs and age and comorbidity, that type of information really does affect the, the course for a patient and whether that person will need higher levels of care. And so we've, We've, as Michael says, specifically addressed this circumstance and provided additional guidelines uh, with these explicit type of objective measures. Them understand who can stay home safely and who needs to go seek additional evaluation and, and care at the hospital.
0: And are those resources available on EMS online as well? If if folks are interested in seeing how you all are doing it,
1: sure. I, I think that algorithm for transport decisions is posted both the EMS online and also to the King County Fire Chiefs uh, website. So the King County Fire Chiefs have a a website for which they're um, posting this information. And and there is actually in that algorithm, there's a box that really does spell out these criteria for who should, who can safely stay at home and and who might need additional evaluation. And, And if they have questions, how to how to get those questions answered in a timely way. Another resource, Camilla, is a a, a nice
2: algorithm that uh, one of our EMS fellows developed, Dr. Betty Yang, along with a lot of other stakeholders on when it's okay to return to work. And this went through quite a bit of editing, and others may find that helpful as well. Tries to cover the variety of different potential exposure circumstances. I'm sure there's some that we didn't think about, but for the vast majority of the potential exposures, I, I think we have a pretty Robust uh, return to work
1: algorithm that other agencies might find useful. Yeah, and just so people have context, Camilla, that that algorithm again, Betty Yang um, was the the author, but it really did involve the fire chiefs, um, infectious disease experts uh, from the region, and EMS leadership, and the, the fire unions uh, were were involved in reviewing this and understanding, um, and so so it really was a collective process.
0: And it sounds like. P- conservation of PPE, making sure that you can get your workforce both healthy and back to work have been probably the the biggest challenges this week. Any other lessons that you've learned over this last very long week, I'm sure, for all of you guys?
2: So I'd say the next the next challenge is sort of the increasing number of positive test results that then have to be screened to see if they match any EMS records. And I think automated some of that workflow, but it's still got a fair amount of manual effort that has to go into reviewing the particular narratives and deciding if someone was actually exposed potentially to COVID-19 or they're very low risk for exposure. So we're continuing to work through that problem. Uh, And I hope other agencies have also fostered this good connection with their public health so they are getting notified of cases that are positive so they can uh, take a look and see if any of their workforce may have been
1: exposed flip side of that, it's in- incredibly important that EMS document their PPE use so that they will in- inevitably encounter persons who have COVID infection and they, they, you know, PPE is protective and just like it's designed to be uh, when used appropriately. And so it's important to understand if they do have this encounter, uh, was PPE in place? And, and so to the extent that can be documented. It really does help the process and uh, makes everyone sort of more efficient about h- how they move forward when there is, has been one of these encounters.
0: What are your perspectives for the next week and, and some of the things that you're anticipating will be your next challenges?
1: I, I think a, a couple of things. One thing I'll say is that every day uh, I'm, I'm humbled by sort of the curveball that is, and uh, we have to be nimble about how we move and respond we want to have access and encourage testing in our workforce so that we can be efficient and safe. I think both of those uh, are important concepts. And so I think we want to, again, stand this up, which we're trying to do in King County and to encourage folks who feel unwell to get tested so that we understand what the next steps are for them. So I think keeping the workforce healthy and well by advocating sort of you know, best practices in terms of social distancing and hand hygiene and all those things, but also testing. Uh, I think that's an important activity in the next week to come. Michael?
2: I agree. And I think from a planning point of view, we're uh, working, continuing to work on increasing our surge capacity as a system and getting better tools to uh, understand Uh, which hospitals and EMS are under stress. So hopefully some of those will become more visible and more real over the next week, Uh, while at the same time thinking about what could happen if it continues to get worse than we expect it to. So sort of having some advanced planning for crisis standards of care uh, so that we know should we actually have to enter that realm? And I sure hope we don't, that we've thought about it ahead of time.
1: And, and again, I think, Camilla, all of this is, is dependent on good links and communication with your public health department, with the hospital systems and hos- individual hospitals, with public, uh, with law enforcement, and EMS. I mean, it, we, you really need to develop a forum uh, and point people who can be the connecting points for these different groups because there are a lot of things moving in, in parallel and ideally they help one another and, and don't oppose one another. And so it's really important to have channels of communication up and running. And I would really encourage other systems to, to make sure they've reached out to their politicians, their public health, their hospitals and have that network uh, in place as they move forward.
0: Well, thank you both so very much for joining us today and just providing these important lessons learned as well as your perspectives on what things are going to be coming in the next week or few weeks. You guys are doing amazing work. And again, we appreciate all of the time and effort that you're putting into helping to prepare the rest of the country as well, um, based on some of the, the hard lessons that you guys have learned. So thank you very much.
2: Camilla, thank you for giving uh, this forum and for the outreach you're doing and the American Heart Association's efforts uh, are also uh, quite appreciated. Indeed, thank you, Camilla.
0: Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association. For transcripts of this podcast and more information about resuscitation science, please visit cpr.heart.org or engage with us via social media using hashtag ECC Digital Digest.